You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, folks. Welcome back to the last Mount Westwire football podcast. UNLV Rebels preview. How's that sound, Matt? Kennerly joining me. We are now three teams away from finishing this thing. Yes, sir. Before we get to actual football, I'm Jeremy Moss, if you didn't know. Website mwire.com. Where you can find uh, our top 52 countdown this year, our media day projections. We just did a media day, media day podcast over at wherever you find it, radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spreaker, anywhere you find a podcast, we're there. Apple Podcasts, if you um, are, I'll say this, lucky enough to have an iPhone, Matt, or whatever that means, but if you have an iPhone, they're trendy, right? Still, can we say that? I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I use Android devices. Same. So I'm just saying it's a thing. I see them out there. I'm just saying. <laughs> I just you still see commercials, so I'm just gonna say yes. Yeah, they're still out there. So, all right. So let's get to the the show here. UNLV Rebels. Like I said, we have three teams left. We have UNLV today. If you're interested, we have Hawaii and Boise State over the next two weeks in some order, determined by you, the Twitter followers at MWCY, who vote on this stuff. And uh, Matt, how, um. Do you have do you have how close the vote was this week? Uh, I believe UNLV edged it out by a grand total of two votes. It's basically thirty. It was basically the not rounding error, but you know you get the one third vote. It was yeah. what 34, 33, 33? something like that. And yeah. And Rebel fans came through, so that's pretty sweet, right? Good for them. They mm-hmm. want to know about their team. Who? Let's just get to it. The biggest news so far. It's glad we met. Like we said, we didn't talk about them last month in June or even early July. But they have um, a coaching change. Who um, new offensive coordinator due to health reasons, and that's uh, not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So their coach, I'm pulling up his name. I forget his name for some reason. As I, as I told you ten seconds ago, it's a coach. You Cotton, were referring right? to Barney Cotton, I, the I knew offensive it was la- coordinator and tight ends coach. And tight ends coach. I knew it was Cotton. I I didn't want to mis- mistake the first name, which I did. So he's having unfortunately heart issues, or he's had heart issues. Needs a heart transplant. And now, I guess that's one of our big questions. Like, who's going to call the place? Is it going to be a different offensive coach? Is Tony Sanchez taking over? I don't know if that's officially been decided yet. I don't know that there's been an official decision. And one of our questions from one of our followers on Twitter was wondering if we had any inside information on who the new tight ends coach was going to be. Um, my only real response is I, I went to Twitter just and mostly jokingly to see if Tony Sanchez had followed new, any new tight ends coaches recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was from at bleed rebel red, by the way. So thank you for that mm-hmm. question. Um, I honestly don't know, but you know, he or she threw out the name of, you know, Ben Cotton, the former Nebraska tight end, and who also happened to be a former graduate assistant for the rebels. Hmm. Could be possible. Here's the thing. They're not going to hire somebody at this point in the year. Well, see, that's the thing, though. Or can, can said they? About, that's uh, can they hire him, too, because you have you only have a certain amount of coaches. Well, uh, Chris Vedini of The Athletic had said back on the 23rd, we're recording this on Sunday, the 28th of July, that um, they had the person in mind that they wanted to hire. They were just kind of going through the, the HR process. Which means this job has to be open until July 31st to meet all requirements at the state and local level. Presumably, yeah. <laughs> So I get I guess it answers that question. It can because there are was it just ten coaches you can keep full time on staff? 
But uh, to, but to answer that first question of who's actually going to call plays, it's the guy that they are promoting in the interim, Garen Justice, who spent last year as the run game coordinator. You know, there was some early questions as to whether it was going to be him or Tony Sanchez calling the shots. It looks like it's going to be Justice. Okay, it's yeah. It wouldn't be if they're making the hire. Like it wouldn't be. It'd be somebody within the program making the calls, like calling mm-hmm. plays. And I'm guessing with this, I'm probably assuming Sanchez had a little bit more handy offense than he would have. Just a little bit because it's a new guy calling the plays. New, basically, a new offensive coordinator as well. And so we'll see how that changes. And another interesting, not interesting, but I guess we'll keep going to players missing. Um, Mac, uh, Max Gilliam is going to be out for a while. Mm-hmm. So the backup is going to be um, a, was it a, tr- a redshirt freshman, I believe? Uh, that would be Kenyon Oblad. So remember what happened last year with Armani Rogers. Uh, just don't let that happen again. Don't get hurt because that may, that Max Gilliam did okay. Not great, did okay a little bit, but you don't want a guy who's never started to have to come in and play extended amount of time if Armani Rogers gets injured. So that's that could be a, a big deal because you pointed out last year going through like the um, effectiveness of Rogers compared to Jillian, even though Rogers' throwing ability, it's he's more of a dual threat guy, so his throwing numbers aren't gonna be great, but he can run very well. We saw how different the offense was when he wasn't in there because the running game suffered for a couple weeks passing in a little bit overall and so as you know it's a huge deal to keep him healthy if they want to get to a bowl game this year can we take another step back for just a moment Ooh, what, what do we miss here what's up well it's not, necessarily <laughs> that we, it's not necessarily that we've missed anything but i feel like there's a, there's an important question that I, at least that i want to pose from my perspective you know talking about all of these different kind of little developments that we'll get more into detail but just one big question because that's how we've been kind of framing all these podcasts so far. And for me, with regards to UNLV, it's this. Did they miss their chance to break through last year? Uh, no. No? Injuries injuries didn't help that. I would say no. Because, because if, I, if you had Rodgers the full year, they argue you could say two years ago because the Howard game. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you, you go back two years ago because if, if they beat Howard during a bowl game, I know injuries are fluky and inconsistent and not like the norm. You can't really bank on being healthy or not healthy. I think had they made a bowl game year before, who knows what would have happened last year. Maybe the exact same thing happened, but we would have seen like, hey, they're good enough to make a bowl game. I don't think that big. Here's my reason why I let you get in as well. Fresno State is the favorite, as we know. New quarterback, new lose Jeff Allison, new offensive coordinator. Um, San, San Jose State, not going to be much better. Uh, Nevada has quarterback ish, not issues, but a quarterback uh, question marks, I should say. Um, if you look at San Diego State, I'll say a new quarterback. Their defense will be fine. Offensive line, um, reloading essentially new players. So I still think there's a chance this year, especially with guys who they have back on this team. I don't think they missed their chance, but again, it's not. I'm not going to say they're going to win eight, eight or nine games this year. They're me missing their chance or making their chances going to a bowl game. Step one. And see that, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, did they miss their chance to do that? And the only reason I want to pose it that way is because if we want to start by just looking back at how last year unfolded, it did look for a time, particularly in September, like this would be a different kind of Rebels team. And if you go back and look at Bo Connolly's S&P Plus profiles that he put together throughout last year, after five weeks, the Rebels had jumped from 104th in S&P Plus overall to 76th. But then over the but over the course of the rest of the season they basically went back to where they started and they ended 106th. Yeah, but again, they could point to that to losing your best player for however many weeks. How many weeks is Rodgers out for half the season? He only played in four games. Yeah, last so year. 
that's numbers are kind of that's why they did so well the first half of the year when he played the four games they played well when he's gone it's like you mentioned one of the podcasts last year and i mentioned just now you point out the efficiency numbers when he's not in there they're not very good and so i say that's more health thing than you know as a team thing i mean i just think that when you look back at what the team did especially well you could make the argument that they should not have fallen apart as much as they did, you know, and, you know, injuries did play a part and, and losing Rogers did play a part, but in the games that he played, they averaged 6.35 yards per carry, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. We know that's what the rebels wanted to do. And that was really the heart of their offense last year because they finished 13th nationally in rushing S and P plus. In the games that he didn't play, though, they averaged just over four yards a carry. Part of that was like the, the offense. Did, the oh. offense should not have been dropping off that much because of one guy. Sure, because remember, Lexington Thomas did garbage, and Coach Sanchez had to kick his butt. Is are saying, are you trying? Are you actually trying out there? They sh- he's the, that good in the player. Even, shouldn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, and that doesn't even account for the fact that the defense, when you look at the the percentile performances, mm-hmm. had exactly two games last year where they were above the fiftieth percentile, and that was in their win against Prairie View A and M. Should be. And in their and in their season ending win against Nevada, that okay. was it. Well, it's not like this team's known for a defensive powerhouse, even when they are at full strength. So I just think that. You know, and we could start t- diving into these questions individually a little more deeply. But to me, it's just like there's so many questions at this point about how things are going to come together that it just makes me wonder whether last year was their best opportunity. I'd argue the year before, but what I'm saying today also things to consider a new AD in town. Is Sanchez going to last another year with the new athletic director? Like last year, it's like they hired, I think they hired her what, late in the year, I believe. It's like, well, we'll look at all the programs. She sticks around. As I, Val, not vouch for him, but recommend is that's probably the best move to do. Why you don't want to repeat the cycle over and over, hire a new coach every four years. This is year five. He needs to probably make a bowl game to keep his job. But if they keep, say they go five and seven and they have a couple bad breaks and they show some sort of improvement. And here's the reason why, well, I'll get into it now. You don't want a new head coach after this. You're not saying they will, but the reasons why you wouldn't, Armani Rogers is going to be back for another year. Why would you ever want to bring a brand new coach and set brand new everything when you have a senior quarterback who we know can be really good when he's out there? And they have some good young wide receivers we'll get to. The running running game has been good the past going back to Tim Cornette, it's been pretty good the past five plus years. It's been solid for this team. So why would you want to start over again? So I'm pretty sure he'll be back for year six, assuming he doesn't fall apart. And that'd be the smart move for Sanchez. But for him, there's still that pressure of wanting to get to a bowl game because he's never done it before. And it'll be Five straight years without a bowl game and going back to whenever they had the last time went to that whatever bowl game in Dallas they went to versus North Texas, I think, about six, eight years ago, something like that. Well, I mean, you could say that, but the athletic director, uh, Desiree Reed Francois, did put out a statement at some point in the offseason. She gave Tony Sanchez, I don't know if you want to call it a vote of confidence because it makes it sound like a negative thing, (laughs) but it was like a week after the season ended, Mm -hmm. right? But her statement said they are looking forward to a successful 2019 football season, including bowl eligibility. So for you, okay, that's what they said. So she that she confirmed right there, bowl eligibility is the for is considered a successful season. Yeah, is that what you think should be a successful season for them? I mean, I, th- I think at this point you kind of have to. Do you okay? We'll get to our wins loss. We'll save that to the end. We're talking about schedule, but so basically, it's almost bowl game or bust for Sanchez, right? It is. So is that your is that your official take on this team then? 
for him. Yeah, and and for better or for worse, it's all going to start at the quarterback position. Which um, Armani Rogers? What was he in our? Q- I have it up. What was he in my QB rankings? Was he third? Uh, I do fourth? not have that in front of me. I'll pull it up here because we did the QB rankings. But as you, we noted already, like five times this podcast, when he plays, they're pretty good, right, Matt? Or at least if they, well, let me rephrase that. They move the ball better. <laughs> For the most part, they did, yeah. And especially like the, that number that I threw out as far as the running attack, because we know that's what they want to do. And they were one of those teams last year that was running the ball almost as much as any team in the country that wasn't a service academy team. So I think you have to start there and you have to account for him not only as a, as a passer, but as a, uh, a runner as well. And if you adjust for sacks, he was remarkable as a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, he was averaging 7.9 yards per carry. He had a shade over eight highlight yards per opportunity, which is basically just when the offensive line is doing its job and he's getting to the second level, how many extra yards after the first five is he getting? Uh, and he had an opportunity rate of 57%. So he was getting those five yards on well over half of his carries last year, but he only had 79 uh, rushes, which is in part of the fact that he only saw time in four games. So I think the first big question is, and this was a question that was also posed to us, what's the over-under on the number of games that he's actually going to see this year? He, how, did he miss any games his fresh, redshirt freshman year? I don't believe so, but he only saw playing time in nine games on route to becoming the freshman of the year for the yeah. conference. So, and it, it was a foot injury, correct? Uh, yes, it was a toe injury, if I remember correctly. Okay, so like a turf toe. See, here's the thing, it's hard to predict. It's not like a soft tissue injury where, oh, that could happen again. It's like a kind of a broken bone thing, like a toe thing. It's probably, I guess, turf, a turf toe type deal could be an issue, but it's, it's a hard number to put on for that type of injury. Like if you had a hamstring or pulled a muscle or Achilles or something really severe, that could be a big, a bigger deal. I'll put the over-under. I'll just go high and see like 10. I think he played at least 10 games this year. I don't see why not. See, I'm almost wondering, you know, and we've talked about this with a couple of other quarterback situations in the conference, particularly Air Force, where if you need to rely on a quarterback to run that often, are you going to need more than one quarterback to be ready? And if that's the case, if we know Jilliam is at least going to be out for the first part of the season, mm-hmm. I'm expecting him to be the quarterback, the backup when he gets back. Yeah. And he got better as the year went along last year. He did end up throwing 14 touchdowns against eight interceptions. And perhaps it's worth noting that Jilliam was better at throwing the football, even if he wasn't quite as prolific running it. Um you know, he completed 55% of his passes. Armani Rogers very clearly took a step back as a passer last year. He had a higher sack rate that was right, right near 11%. Yikes. And he completed only 44% of his passes. So, you know, if Rogers misses time, and I think based off of last year, for as prolific as he is, if they, you know, if they're planning on letting him run the ball, what, nearly 20 times a game? Yikes. That's, I mean, that was the pace that he was on last year, yeah, if I remember correctly. For a non-option team, that's ridiculous. He's 6'5", 225, but that's still a lot for any quarterback to do. Remember, he's supposed to be like the Cam Newton guy. That's what we've been told a couple years ago. And, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I'm inclined to go a little bit lower than 10. I'm inclined to say he's probably going to miss, I don't know, three or four games. Interesting. It, here's right around eight or eight or nine games in all, you know. So 
I just, you know, if there's another drop off or another situation where this offense has to adjust what it's doing, whether it's with Jilliam or if, if Oblad has to come in and he didn't really look prepared all that much when he saw the field last year, he only threw five passes, but he only completed one of them, you know, um, what's that offense going to look like? Here's what I'll say confidently. If he does not play all 12 games, there's zero chance for making a bowl game, meaning Armani Rodgers. I think that's fair to say, yeah. And if, say, the injury bug gets him, it'd be better off, obviously, the second half of the year than first half because I'd rather have Jillian than this guy who threw five passes last year as your starting quarterback for even the game. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see how that goes. But I was going to say, if he, if, he's out, if he misses one game, at least, yeah, he needs to play the whole season if they have any chance to make a bowl game because they're a drastically different team when he's not on the field and compared to on the field. So I'm going to pose a follow-up question to you then. Go for it. After you adjust for sacks last year per game, he averaged 204.5 yards of total offense, running and throwing. Okay. Is he over or under that per game this year? He better be over. So how much over? I think that's going to be the big question of how far this team can go. Just for, for the sake of comparison, in 2017... Um, and I, and this is without adjusting for sacks or anything like that. But he was at 225 yards per game as a freshman. So let me let me reset that bar. Is he over or under 225 as far as total? What offense? what did he average in rushing last year? I mean, it is like what per game? Do you have that in front of you, real quick? Uh, well, let's see. He ran for two six twenty six. So if he played in four games, that was roughly 150 or a so, game. 160 a game. Yeah. Oh, he should not be running for that many yards per game. Well, um, because he was extremely efficient as a runner. He yeah. was averaging almost eight yards a carry. I would say, you said 225? As a freshman, he was at 225. And you want me to say about 250? I'm just saying, where do you think he's going to end up? For what he does, I would say, it's, it's going to be like a, it's going to be like a 70-30 split. Rush pass into Russian, I think. Like so, like one eighty to eighty. So what's that? Two sixty. I think I think two seventy five is reasonable. Assuming okay. Charles Williams can run the ball well, it depends on the offenses. But like one seventy five to one hundred or two hundred to seventy five, I think that's very reasonable for a skill set. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I I mean I think so, but it's still kind of a big if. Well, yeah, it's like really doing whether yeah. he's actually going to be able to throw the ball as accurately as he needs to to get that. Because here's the thing, too, really, really quick, your schedule. They go to Northwestern, good defense. To Wyoming, really good defense. To Fresno State, good defense. You know what I mean? They play some really good defenses on the road. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be an issue. So, I that's what he should be. But, like, yeah, I, I don't see why he can't combine for 275. I think that's a fair number. Because that's only 50, what, 50 more yards in as, a, as a freshman? So, essentially, what you're saying is, and I'm just going to put this in context for you. Okay, what do I, what do I screw up on here? Go with it. <laughs> so, last year, there were five different quarterbacks who averaged that many yards per game. Rushing and Donald, passing. Yeah. Ty Ganji, Brett, Brett Rippin, Marcus McMarion, and Jordan Love. So, you're saying he's basically going to be a top five quarterback. I put a number three in my list. Okay. Because I, the only quarterbacks I have above him at this time is Jordan Love, Cole McDonald, and even number four is Colin Hill. Even though I like Donald Hammond a third, I put him at three. But that's all the court. That's half your league, almost half your league, getting nearly 300 total yards per game on offense for a quarterback. That's not bad. See, I think most of the reason I would feel inclined to take the under. Under 275? 
under 275 yeah. is because I would hope that the running game would be able to step up even despite the guys that they're losing this year. Because Lexington Thomas is gone, Evan Owens is gone, Xavier Campbell is gone. But that running game should still be really, really good. Charles Williams is really good, I think. In the limited amount of carries, he did quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, you got um, Tyreek Collins, Ty, excuse me, Tyreek Collins got the ball a few times. I don't know who's going to be. Is it going to be the Cal transfer or Biagio Ali Walsh? I don't know. It's, well, what's interesting to me is that, at least compared to years past, where Lexington Thomas was really the, the bell cow, you know, he had a 215 carries last year, right? Yeah. It almost makes me wonder, you know, looking at the depth chart that the Rebels put out. Uh, after the spring game and, and going into the fall, whether they might be trading a little bit of their explosiveness for a little more power. And I think that you get a, a, a little bit of that from the guys elsewhere on the depth chart. I'm talking specifically about guys like Tariq Collinsworth and Chad Magyar. Mm-hmm. Um, Magyar, I believe, was listed as the backup to Williams. And both of those guys are bigger guys, you know, over 200 pounds. So... You know, and I, I feel like it's really cliche at this point to throw out kind of a thunder and lightning comp. Yeah. But if those guys can step up and bring a different element to running between the tackles, and I think that com- when you combine that with a, a very experienced offensive line that should continue to be pretty good at what it does, you know, between Rodgers and Williams last year, I just want to throw this out there because I think it's significant, and I think that there's room for optimism in, in reaching these, but Rogers and Williams had a success rate that was combined around 48% last year. And that basically means that they were getting 50% of the yards they needed on first down, 70% on second and hundred percent on either third and fourth. As a team last year, they were 76th nationally, 41.5%. Mm-hmm. So those two guys can do better than what Thomas was able to do last year. And Thomas actually brought those numbers down a little bit. Now, he was only at 40% as far as success rate goes, and he was only at 40% on opportunity rate. Rodgers and Williams were right there at 57-58%. And that's obviously going to be a very high bar to reach two years in a row. But if those two guys can, let's say, get to 50%, and if you know, Magier and or Hollinsworth or Walsh or whoever ends up filling out those kind of secondary roles in the same way that Campbell and Evans did last year. Let's not forget Campbell and Evans averaged five and six and a half yards per carry respectively last year. They were both really good in small samples as well. So it's not necessarily that it's going to take one guy to have the same kind of year that Thomas had a couple of years ago. But if they can be the same kind of efficient with a a little bit different look, you know, more of a uh, a balance of power and speed. The running game should still be able to lead the way, even if Rogers is still a little bit erratic here and there as a passer. Here's the thing. Okay, that's I, I, those points I agree with 100 percent because the amount of carries uh, Thomas had, you're not going to put a newbie. Williams will clearly get the most carries, but the interesting about that, I'll, I there's nothing more to add to the running game. You covered it completely, I believe. So you mentioned the passing game. This receiving group gonna be really good this year, I think. Like Tyler Collins came on late last year, really, really good receiver. Brandon Presley's back, Darren Woods Jr. They can bring a guy from South Alabama, Jordan McCray. They bring bring in their four top receivers back and a transfer coming in. And so that area could be something where Rogers, we may see him 
improved dramatically by having all these guys back on on the receiving end. And hopefully, if, if he can get them the ball, that's I mean, there's that too. Obviously, getting the ball, but they have clearly have talent and experiences and everything. But these guys aren't. These guys are pretty good. Who they have? They're all upperclassmen except for one in Collins, and he seemed to be like their main guy late in the year, playing like that slot position where he's doing good things later on, and 13 yards per catch essentially. So I think that I think you're right. If he can get in the ball, Rogers. Speaking of, this could clearly help with that running game, which is going to be not new because Williams is there, but to build in at some depth back there, to have to rely on Williams. They know what he's going to do when they go after him and try to get him and bring him this, down. So I think that's a, that's a big plus for this team, the receiving group. But again, Rogers pass the ball to him, get the ball to whoever. <laughs> now see, I wish that I wish that I had gone back and listened to last year's UNLV podcast. Cause I feel same like thing? the conversation around the receivers is almost exactly the same as it was last year. You know, long on potential, but short on actual production. All other than Collins, I think you're right. You know, not so whose fault that... is production? Is it Rogers being out, or just like whose fault is that this last year? Just new quarterback part way. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that you can pin it on any one thing. I mean, I think it's worth noting that he had a catch rate of sixty-seven point four percent, and among the guys who are coming back this year, that's far and away the best. I think it's also worth noting that the other guys coming back. Uh, as far as returning starters like Darren Woods Jr. and Mackay Stevenson, they were both well under 50%. Collins That's is their best change, receiver. first Co- and foremost. Yeah. Collins, I'm going to say, he's, he's going to be the best receiver and leading the team in most major categories. Well, and you also mentioned McCray, but I think the other guy who could potentially play a huge role is Randall Grimes, who... What you may remember, PJ Fleck was griping about the fact that he was he was set to go to Minnesota and then oh, that's right. LV instead. He's eligible right away, isn't he? Uh, yes, he is. Wasn't there somebody? Was there a USC receiver eligible eligible right away as well with Rebels? I forget. Yeah, that's that's Grimes. Oh, because oh. McCray is coming from South Alabama. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was thinking about something else. Go ahead. And I think that between the two of them, you could get an element that could help the Rebels maybe finish drives in a you know more balanced way or at least give you know to give Rodgers some reliable red zone targets if nothing else because McCray's 65 and Grimes is 64 those are two big bodies that I think that Rodgers can benefit from because in his career he's only completing 40% of his passes in the red zone you know he has eight touchdowns and I believe just one interception so it's not like it's been you know, a total <laughs> waste of effort mm. down in the red zone. But I think that if those two guys can factor in just in that one way, you know, this was an offense last year that was pretty good at finishing drives. I think they were eighth nationally as far as points per trip inside the 40. And those two guys might be a very big reason why they can stay up in that range. Okay, um, I would say one thing with that, with those tall guys, um, don't throw the fade, <laughs> just because they're big. Never throw the fade, that's throw, right. What you do is throw to the corner end zone, but like a dart in that corner, so it's still essentially the same location, but it's up where only they can get it, and not allowing a 5'8 DB who has hops to get up and tip the ball away. Mm. So I'm just saying, go to the back corner, go to the end zone, go to the sideline to get those guys to pass, maybe throw it over the out-of-bounds marker where they have to reach and get it, just don't throw the fade. Well, that and if the team is going to continue to rely on the run as much as they are, which I don't really see a reason why they wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, having big bodies blocking on the outside yeah, could, can really only benefit, you know, Williams and, and everybody else in that backfield. Oh, definitely. 
So we're good on receivers. So what do we go? Let's go to the offensive line. What do they got there? Everybody back too? Just about. Boom. Look at that. Just about, yeah. Lose Nathan Jacobson, who was an honorable mention. 38 career starts. It's still a pretty big loss for a right tackle, but they bring back, what, four starters from last year, essentially, and a couple other guys who had a handful of starts. So I don't – like, here's – I think it's actually three starters because Jaron Caldwell did start yeah, seven games last year. I think he's actually redshirting this year. Oh, we should look into that. So, all right, we'll, we'll take a look and see. However, he, okay, assuming he's gone, let's just say that, they still bring back a handful of starters. And upperclassmen, too, which is always a can't knock that, really, if you've been around for a while. So I think they'll be fine. And Roger, just, hey, you know, if the number one goal is to keep Rogers upright, don't let him get hit. <laughs> right? That's true. That's what they should do. So keep those guys, keep him upright, keep the ball moving. Um, let me just take a I'm trying to start. I'm trying to do two things at once, if you registered or not. But um, I'll get this later because I am not quite sure. No, moment, because so. I think I, if I remember correctly, and I think it was Mark Anderson in the Las Vegas Review Journal. I said that Caldwell was going to take a red shirt because they're moving Justice Oluwaseun into the starting lineup. Oh, here we go. April 10th, probably will red shirt. Yeah. So I don't what they said at media day, if that was men- mentioned, but if we assume if he's there, that's a boom. If he's not, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, he I'm had to- gonna, toe surgery. I'm going to so we'll throw out a relatively hot take. Oh, what do you got? For what this offense wants to do, if it can do it, this could be the best offensive line in the Mountain West. Where's my blowtorch sound? <laughs> they do return 16 other 17 linemen from last year. And this is not to say that they are the best unit in the Mountain West. But if they reach their ceiling with what they do want to do on offense, this uh, this offensive line is absolutely going to be one of the biggest reasons why they do it. And it's not just about Justin Polo either who's you know made a couple of different watch lists. He was the only guy on the offense to crack the, the official uh, Mountain West preseason all-conference team. He's in our top 50 somewhere. I think the – have we announced him being on there yet? I yes. Forget. Okay. Yes, yes he, we have. Okay, let's make it sure. It could be in the future, so that's somebody else maybe. <laughs> but, you know, as you mentioned, they've got plenty of experience coming back. It's a deeper unit than we've seen in years past. You know, so guys like Sid Acosta who might not – get a lot of headlines but you know he was i believe on the remington trophy watch list as one of the best centers in the country uh they got matt brayton who started half the season last year and ola was saying who if i remember correctly tony sanchez said he might be the best offensive lineman that he's had to coach in his tenure at unlv is that saying much i'm kidding (laughs) half kidding I mean, yeah, and he's one of he's one of those guys that they brought in that is really part of the revamp recruiting efforts that so Sanchez has had over the past few years too. All five of the guys who are set to be a part of this line are over three hundred pounds. So I was getting to basically everybody's three hundred pounds except for the centers. Yeah. Well, so, even Acosta, I believe, is listed at three hundred pounds. Yeah. Is he not? Yes. Oh no, sorry. Look at the left guard. Sorry. Yeah, six one three hundred. Look at these guys: six three three ten, six two three twenty five, six two three twenty. Six five three oh five six four three twenty five. They got some big guys. Six two three fifteen. So those that's where the freshman is probably not going to play that much this year. But they have size and depth, and that's what we need. Like we look at Utah State, I still think they're going to be pretty good. They replaced their whole offensive line, and Jordan Love I think can make up for that early on. But there's a thing to be said to have guys back, inexperienced guys, and some decent guys. Like honorable mention guy with uh, Justin Polo and whoever else will step up, and the starting guys from last year to keep playing. 
That's why Utah State may struggle early on with the new, brand new offensive line of five new starters. You, yeah, and I think right now they have a pair of sophomores. UNLV does mm-hmm. stepping into both tackle spots. You know, they have Olawasan, I believe, is at left tackle. Yes, or maybe or maybe he's at right tackle. He's they, one of the tackles. Have, uh, and then they have Ashton Morgan at the other tackle position. Mm-hmm. But if most of what you're asking them to do is to line up and hit the guy in front of them, I don't think that that's going to be much of a big deal. No, just they'll be fine. And so, like, looking overall at the offense, it's pretty well established. Like, there's not too many holes to poke at to say, hey, they're going to be good or not good here. The bi- I still think the biggest question mark and concern is just are Rodgers being healthy for the most part. Running game is probably my second concern because to find depth after since Lexington, Lexington Thomas is gone. But if they keep Rodgers healthy, like we've seen his offense be pretty dynamic in some of these games. Like remember the was it sixty nine sixty six overtime loss to Wyoming? Mm-hmm. That was like fifty something points of regulation, I believe, or maybe sixty points of regulation. And that's a really good defense a couple years ago. So we've seen spurts what this Rodgers and offense can do. Well, so, look, here's here's one more note. Ooh, what do you got? Uh, as far as projected S and P plus, UNLV is projected to be the best offense in the Mountain West. Ooh boy! Better than Utah State. Okay. Better than Boise. Yeah, not too surprising. Well, sorry. They were the only team projected as far as offensive S and P plus in the top forty. Is that over at Football Outsiders? Uh, that was part of Bill Connolly's stat profiles as well. Uh, I must not have seen that part. Apologies. So they're projected to be the more better than Hawaii. Better than Hawaii. Oh, that's some high praise there. But. <laughs> guess. And sadly, this is a bad but. Oh, defense is what, the defense remains <laughs> severely problematic. Not, I mean, you're closer than you think you are. 130? They were, they were 117th last year, and they were 121st. Or they're projected to be 121st this year. <sighs> so let's just get to the defense now. Here's a big issue. They lose their three best starting defensive linemen from last year. Um, they lose um, Bailey, the Logie linebacker, pretty good, and their Dalton Baker and Jacquez Khalili in the secondary. So, but the big front, defensive line, well, let's just run the ball and troubles. We've done it last year. They have new starters. Yeah, we'll just run over them again, <laughs> essentially, right? I mean, what really killed the Rebels last year was they got murdered by big plays. And How it's big? not like it's not like they were on a Yukon bad level. Oh boy. But they were I well, I phrased it as uncomfortably close in my notes. And I'm just <laughs> gonna put this into context for you. <laughs> Last year they gave up eighty four plays of over twenty yards. They gave up forty plays of over thirty yards. And you know, even to stretch it out, they give up seven plays of over sixty yards last year. All of those were among the worst figures in the country. Sounds about like, right. <laughs> way deep in the triple digits. And this was just something that, you know, Bill Connolly had mentioned specifically in his preview that I thought was worth noting. It was especially bad in instances where the defense was in, would have been in more favorable situations on third and four or more situations last year. You and all the opponents completed 54% of their passes, 15 and a half yards per completion. On third and, and four, and a quarter of those compl- on third and four or more. So that includes like even obvious passing situations, which, by the way, they were 126th on passing downs to be plus on defense last year. A quarter of those opportunities went for more than 25 yards. That's not good. 
Just put it, is, just put it out there. That's not good. <laughs> and it's not to say that there weren't anything. There wasn't anything that the defense didn't do well last year, but maybe if we, if we start up front, like you mentioned, they're replacing you know, several key starters in that defensive line rotation. Mm-hmm. Last year, they were actually middle of the pack as far as defensive opportunity rate allowed and defensive stuff rate. They were 61st and 66th respectively. But, you know, moving Gabe McCoy to defensive end is really only going to help so much. They're going to need some of these guys who are coming back from injury. You know, in the case of someone like Nick Dadashian, he's going to have to try and get back to his 2017 form when he had six and a half tackles per loss. It may not sound like much, but that's the kind of production that they're having to replace from guys that are leaving like um you know, Salanoala, Willie, and Roger Mann and things like that. Those were guys that were maybe a little more disruptive up front than you would have expected. Yeah, they had 21 TFLs combined, so that's not too bad. And, you know, they've got guys to replace in the interior, like Kolo Uwasike. He's going to get more playing time than he did last year. He's a a big sophomore, but, you know, he's going to be counted upon to take a larger role. Next to him, someone like Tavis Malekias, he's going to be taking on a bigger role. So, it's not necessarily that they need you know, someone to step up and break out in the same way that Gabe McCoy did last year. But when you go down the line of the kinds of TFLs that they're having to replace from the guys up front, you know, Bailey Lalagi, for instance, graduated. He had five and a half tackles for loss. Dalton Baker in, out of the secondary had three tackles for loss. Uh, Willie and Mann had seven tackles for loss each. And, and so did Jameer Outseat on the defensive line. That's not nothing. No. Especially when the defense is not great and you're losing your best players. There needs to be somebody to come up and do something. We just could it be a case of we may not know who it is at this point, but that's a lot of percentage production loss for this team. Even though it wasn't yeah. great, it's still not good to lose your best players. Mm-hmm. And so I oh man, I don't know what to say to this team. The defense, uh obviously it's here's the thing too, you mentioned all those big plays, third and four long passing plays, the plus thirty, plus forty yard big plays they gave up. If they could limit that down like 15%, which isn't a lot, that would go a long way to make it that much better. Because instead of having, say, what did you see? How many 30 plus yard plays did they give up last year? Do you have that again? 40. Oh, geez, 40. Cut that to 30. That could be, who knows what that could turn into, right? Yeah. Cut, cut it down by just a couple. Like any play 30 or more, 10 of those gone, That could, that's a big deal. Those, how many of those are touchdowns? A 30 plus yard play? Probably. Well, it gets you in field goal range at minimum point, extended drives, getting you to your side of the field at a bare minimum. And so cut those down a little bit. You're in business even if you don't have TFLs or sacks to go along with it. If you just knock a ball down or get in a guy's face or make a better tackle or don't get blown coverage. And so that's, I think, um, if they can limit those, that could really offset guys who are losing these, all those the 21 TFLs from the defensive line who are gone. That could go a long way without, without getting those same numbers but being productive in another way. Well, and, and to go back to the point I was making about the fact that there were some things that this defense was able to do last year, you know, they were also middle of the pack as far as opponents completion rate and sack rate. And I think both of those not only have to do with the defensive line, they have to do with the linebackers as well. But the linebacker situation is like, there's, there's just enough questions to make me wonder how good they're going to be. Well, and not necessarily that they're going to be bad, <laughs> but just that there's there's a broad range of possibilities as far as I see it. Because Javin White is pretty good. Yeah. 
he was one of those guys, and and I think that this was a question that we neglected to get to all uh, fully in our our uh, media days recap about the most underrated players in the conference. Javin White was number one on my list with a bullet. Let's see, six and a half sacks, or excuse me, six FTFLs, two sacks, four interceptions, four pass breakups, four forced fumbles, and have a grade of thirty-two and a half percent. Pretty good. So even though they're moving McCoy to defensive end. They've got him back at linebacker. He's got at least one spot locked down. Mm-hmm. It's the other two spots that kind of make me wonder how good they're going to be because they're plugging in, uh, at least for right now, a redshirt freshman in Malachi Salu. You know, another one of those highly regarded three-star recruits that he's brought in, but still a redshirt freshman. And then a middle linebacker, to me, is maybe the biggest question of all because you've got two guys to choose from in either Farrell Hester and Vic Barramontes. I thought... Hester would play a bigger role than he did last year. And, you know, he did rack up three and a half tackles for loss. Played it every and game. A co- and but... a couple pass breakups, but didn't have quite the impact that I thought he would. And now he's competing at that middle linebacker spot with a guy in Viramontes who, you know, went to Juco College uh, and performed pretty well there. Came in as a high three-star guy, you know, d- uh, pretty close to being a four-star recruit, if I remember correctly. Well, maybe that's a good thing, get that competition. Exactly. So if one of those two guys can break out and be the kind of impact player that I think UNLV really needs in the middle of the defense, that could pay huge dividends. But to me, it's kind of a big if as to which one of those guys it's going to be or even if it's going to happen at all. All right. So let's go to the secondary really quick. So we mentioned a couple of guys that are gone. Um, of all those plays, I'm assuming – I'm sure you cannot break it down by pass or run, but I'm, sure, I'm assuming those 30-plus plays were passing plays. <laughs> probably <laughs> actually if you if you want to vamp for a minute i can tell you exactly how many okay yeah get, I, i'm curious to know because the secondary losing two guys let's kind of recap who's coming back you have evan Osturo, safety uh, jericho flowers who is in our top 50 somewhere i forget where exactly um i think he made a list but he is back and he did a lot, a lot of pass breakups him and a few others but replacing two guys if it, if there's I'm gonna take a stab here if you figure out, I bet half or 60 percent are passing plays on those but interesting there was two starters I was secondary that wasn't really great I guess I'll give a good thing Matt here all these guys who are probably projected to start to play a lot are all, all upperclassmen so I'll be positive for you rebel fans you got some guys who've been around can know how to work hard on bad teams and hope you play well so <laughs> the answer by the way is 25 out of 40. Interesting, more balanced than I thought. As far as as far as thirty yard plays allowed, twenty five of them were through the air. So the running and pass defense is not good at big plays. Good to know. All, all seven of those, it was all seven of those sixty yard pass play. Those were through the air as well. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's and that's where I kind of take the opposite tack, where it's like, yeah, they've got a veteran secondary coming back, but ooh, not good. They weren't necessarily very good last year. And and you mentioned injuries right at the onset. And maybe more so than any other unit on the defense, this was the unit that was impacted the most. You know, Jericho Flowers missed a couple games last year. Alex Perry, who, you know, he had a lot of hype, you know, coming in as a transfer, I believe it was from Ohio State, if I'm not mistaken. But he missed most of the year with, you know, a couple different injuries. I think it was a concussion and then something else. So he didn't really see as much playing time. Evan Austrian missed a couple games. And Greg Francis, who got pressed in as a Jugo transfer last year, you know, he missed some time as well. All of those guys are back, which is, you know, always positive. But, you know, again, 
you know, this is another situation where they're asking, multi, you know, veteran guys to step up and take another step forward. But they're also counting on some new guys playing huge roles as too. You know, Stop. we haven't even mentioned we haven't mentioned guys like Drew, Drew Tedgman, for instance, who this time last year was a wide receiver. Does he have enough spring practice and fall camp to be a guy to get into that rotation? He is number one on the depth chart right now, free safety. There you go. That's a big fat yes. <laughs> Um, or, or a guy like Miles Plummer, who is, you know, didn't really see that much playing time last year. You know, he did play in nine games, but he didn't, you know, start any games that I can remember. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to be counted on to take a bigger role as well. And most of the guys behind them are either freshmen or sophomores, guys like Philip Hill, Bryce Jackson or whatever. So. What's your confidence you know, level I, one to 10 on this team? Oh, man. <laughs> oh so okay so we like okay okay that's not good for i I mean you i mean you want to say that there's nowhere to go but up but this is the same kind of thing that they've been wrestling with for a few years now so with the secondary here we like the offense overall defense we're not huge fans of because it's not shocking defense is projected to be that bad and has been that bad because history plays part of it there's a reason we're I'm confident Rodgers playing well or Tyleek Collins playing well. Brandon Presley, wide receiver guys playing well. Defense has never shown much outside of a few players here or there to be really good. So there's a there's a good standing to say your confidence level in that secondary is a 4 over 10. Defense might be one of the worst in the country, which means if things line up as we think they will, pretty above average offense, maybe top three offense, bottom two, three defense, there might be a lot of like 40 to 30 games for the Rebels. I'm, I mean, let's put it this way. It's not the most accurate measure, but just by opponents' passer rating, uh, UNLV has dropped every single year since 2015. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. And I think we forgot to mention another linebacker who could play a role, too. I forgot to mention uh, uh, Rayshad Jackson, who's coming in from Florida as a graduate transfer. Oh, that's right. He's he he could be in that mix as well. So maybe, yeah, maybe he'll come and make a play, get some. Solid reps early on become a starter, but I'm with you. Defense, like overall defense, I'm like a three. Sorry. I mean, I feel I feel two of those points are for Gabe McCoy. (laughs) I mean, I feel better about their chances to defend the run, but they absolutely need to get better against defending the pass. And with so many kind of newish pieces having to come together, it just strikes me as a little bit dicey as to whether it's actually going to happen or not. Sure. All right, let's go special teams. You know, it also doesn't help. A brand new place kicker. Uh, brand new everything, pretty much. Yeah, right? I was saying, yeah, brand new um, kickoff guy. No, they got a punter back. He's there. I mean, Haysegan is fine. <laughs> He's fine, I guess. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm bullish on their return, return game. Punt, kick, return. If it's Tyler Collins or Brandon Presley. Brandon Presley's out for the year, though. Oh shoot, he is. Oh, what I mentioned before. What is he out? Torn ACL. Oh shoot, I apologize if I mentioned him once or twice, which I know he did momentarily ago. Sorry. Um, okay, well, even Tyler Collins, he had a handful of returns, did okay. I would like to see him back there as well because I think he can move the, move the ball well. But uh, they lose to Evan Owens, who did okay. You know what I mean? He did all right. But just um, here's what I want to say, special teams, return. Just don't fumble the ball. Just keep it in play. They goes for any team, not just the Rebels. I mean, making fun of them or saying basic football things. I mean that's another instance where if you if you really want to look at it, it's by especially by SP plus, it really can't get much worse than it did last year. Just as a whole, they were 128th. 
on special teams at S&P Plus. They were 126 in field goal efficiency and uh, 129 and 126 in punt and kick return efficiency. What does field goal efficiency go for? Because they only kicked eight or 10 field goals. Is that why? I wish I knew. Or 11, excuse me, because they were, see, five. They made six of 11 field goals. No. Whatever. I, I'm not – whatever. Just don't screw up. Make the field goals you should make. Don't fumble the ball. Don't muff the pumps. And maybe get a good 15 to 25 kick and punt return average. Well, and if you don't trust your field goal unit, maybe okay. just get more aggressive on uh, fourth down or something like that. Hey, no no punt, uh, no punt Sanchez. Can we get that started? I mean, they were already third in third down attempts – or excuse me, fourth down attempts in the Mountain West last year. But maybe they just need to bump that up a little bit. Okay. I see. All right, let's take a quick timeout. We'll come back to talk schedules. All right, here we go, Matt. We have the UNLV. Um, they're not the they're not the Running Rebels in football. Is there a can we call? Well, actually, it should, they should be called the Running Rebels with Rogers and Williams, right? I kind of informally call them the Running Rebels just because they they run the football. Sure, it's Hey Reb, I think as well. I see that that's, sometimes. That's true. Yeah. Okay, I was making sure like Hey Reb. I see the hashtag Hey Reb. Never. I'm never sure if it's just a hoops thing or whatever, but. I guess it's also nice. We should say this. It's officially the old, the new slash old slash retired mascot is gone for officially. The uh, remember the one was last spring they made that the new uh, mascot they got rid of the drawing the rendering. Yeah, and then you never you don't see that drawing anymore. I think though. it's I think it's officially gone. <laughs> was it really that bad? I mean, I guess it was okay, but it definitely looked like the kind of thing that was workshopped among a committee for like fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, can they pay us that much? And we'll like just just give us the give us the big head with the ginormous mustache. That's all you want. Let's just call it a day. Yeah, you really you really can't improve upon that. But anyway, I, I will go to Canva.com and make something for much less. You can still pay me the same amount of money. There you go. All right, they opened up against Southern Utah, which is um, a quick ninety-minute drive for the Thunderbirds to come south to Rebel Stadium. Which um, I did mention last one of the prior shows I drove through Vegas. That stadium is like literally on your back in the freeway. It'll hmm. block the, it'll block the sun once it's built on I fifteen. Oh yeah, it's huge. So they'll be at Sam Boyd for one more year. Probably should mention that they go to or host Southern Utah. They should win. Then yeah. they host another, a Sun Belt team, a decent Sun Belt team, in Arkansas State, where at home they're barely given a thirty three percent chance to win that game. I remember how weird that game was last year, though. Was it a rainy game? Was that that game? It was it a driving rainstorm. <laughs> oh boy, those are the best games, all right? Those type of games sometimes. And and UNLV was actually pretty close to winning that game. If I remember correctly, they they let it halftime and then just kind of let it slip away, it, mostly because they lost the turnover battle. Yeah, twenty-seven twenty, they lost. Yeah. So what's and that was a road game. So they get them at home. That's good. But Arkansas State, where do you know? I don't, shoot, I, I thought I had it in front of me. Do you know where they're projected in the Sun Belt? Uh, Phil Steele, at least, has them projected to win the Sun Belt West Division. All right, then. Here's, here's, what, here's a good and bad thing. They play SMU Week 1, who should be a decent team at home. They go to UNLV. So at least the Rebels get a war tune-up game for Southern Utah, which I didn't ask you, but it's a win, right? Southern Utah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just making sure with that 128 S&P plus ready defense, we got to ask every time, don't we? Yeah. They exactly. do have a, here's the big thing for them. Um, they bring back Justice Hansen at quarterback. I thought oh, he graduated. Oh, wait. Am I looking at 2018? Oh. Hold on. Let me refresh my browser here. I, click, I was looking at last year's box score. Let me, <laughs> let me refresh. And I click on roster to see because I wanted to look up some guys. Um, 
Is he back or is he not back? Let's refresh. Oh, man. No, I, he graduated. They, uh, if I remember correctly, geez. the presumed starter, at least for right now, is Logan Bonner. There we go. Who had 32 pass attempts last year? 32. That's it. That's ridiculous. So Didn't really need to see the field that much because Justin Hansen was pretty good. He, Yeah, he, I apologize. There's nothing to look up there. He was really good. So, new quarterback. They... And if they're projected to win the West, can we just say it's a loss for UNLV and move on, or do we really need to talk about where this team? I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit closer than S and P Plus might suggest, mostly because they're losing enough key pieces on offense to make me think that UNLV should have a chance in this game. Not only in the, are they losing Hanson, they're losing two of their top three rushers from last year too. You know, Hanson not only was their leading quarterback, but he also ran for over 500 yards after you adjust for sacks. Between him and Warren Wan, they're losing about 1,300 yards on the ground that they're going to have to make up somehow. So that big play capability Rebels have been known for to give up may not be there this game. Yeah, and they're also also losing three of their top six pass catchers as well. So while they're bringing back a lot on defense, you know— the running game was pretty effective for most of the game last year. And so I, I'm just going to say it. I had this one as a UNLV win. I'm leaning towards you after he's seen a bit more of that. So I'm trying to see are there odds out for the, usually Vegas has odds for like every UNLV and Nevada game. Are there a point spread on this one yet? I had not seen one. Okay. No. I'm not going to take time to look at it, but you might be convincing me because I is going to pencil this in for loss, but it's at home. They get the no. I'll be positive. Not the never not positive, but Wyoming or oh, I put a W down. Jeez, we need to hurry up here. I'm getting crazy. UNLV with the victory. Okay, winning over Arkansas State. They go to Northwestern, which is um, a bit tougher competition. I, I remember watching the uh, Pat the Holiday Bowl Utah Northwestern. Oh boy, that was just dreadful. He's <laughs> got <laughs> no points in that game. But what I do know, Northwestern has a, a decent defense. That's true. So with the defense going up against uh, – this will be their big test because Arkansas State will be okay, right? But Northwestern will be one of the first big tests to see where the Rebels are at this year. I mean, maybe they're not going to win the division again this year, but Northwestern should still be pretty tough. You think so? I mean, I think so. because I mean, you mentioned the defense, and they have maybe you know, one of the more underrated linebacker units in the Big Ten. Yeah, they got Patty Fisher, who might be a, an all-conference performer. And next to him, they got Blake Gallagher and, and Chris Bergen. That's a trio, at least with a lot of experience. And even though they're replacing Clayton Thorson at quarterback on offense, you know yeah, they're, bringing in, they're bringing in Hunter Johnson from Clemson. Yeah, there you go. I'll just say whatever, because I saw this offense last year and it was not much. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be like an offense that'll blow you away. But this seems like the kind of game where... UNLV might have trouble moving the football. I think so as well. And this is going to be like you're playing a Big Ten team. They're going on the road. It's their first big road game of the year. I don't trust Rebels on the road, so I'm like, I'm going to say they're losing this one. Yeah, so do I. What does S&P Plus say the uh, percentages again? Uh, my page is not uh, They have Northwestern 79% to win this game. I see that 14-point touchdown spread. It might be a little bit closer than that, but eh, I'd say – if Rebels can keep it within 10, single digits, that'll be a good win for a good game for them. Yeah. And we've already talked about Wyoming. They have a conference game. They go to Wyoming, correct? Yeah, they go on the road September 28th. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my last podcast notes, so I know where to correctly slot this game. It is going to be a 
loss for UNLV because that uh, defensive woman is really good. I mean, mm-hmm. really, really good. Should yeah, be, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be sixty nine to sixty six again. I can what, tell you that. If it was, it'd be awesome. What, what's your take on the same thing? You, I see. I think you had a win last time for the Cowboys. Yes. Same issues for me. Same reasoning. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, go back and listen to Wyoming podcast. We talk about it, about the teams more in depth. Logan Wilson, you know the guys are out there, right? He's a playmaker and our first team linebacker, inside linebacker, I should say. Key inside linebacker. <laughs> Boise State at home, not a chance, right? Yeah, no. Because partly because we'll just go, nah, no, because of that. But the defense for Boise is really good. And they're going to shut down Rodgers and anything they throw their way on offense for the most part. They might get up some points here and there. Rodgers can have his legs running around. But I don't see this being very close because even if Boise's offense isn't as good as we it normally is, maybe by week five or six it is. But defense, like I said, is going to smother everybody they play. So that'll make well, that, it for anything. That and they've they've lost five in a row to Boise, and, th- and their seven losses overall are by twenty three points on average. All right. So what do we say about Vanderbilt on the road? They're the uh, bot- cellar dwellers of the SEC. So there's that. I mean, we, we talk about Vanderbilt as being maybe like the dregs of the SEC, and that might be true, but they still won six games last year. Well, they they still might be a fair you know bet to go back to a bowl again. And we had the same conversation last year about Nevada, and then they went out and dropped 41 points on Nevada. Obviously, this year's team isn't going to be quite the same, but especially on offense, this is the kind of team that could pose a lot of problems for UNLV. They are replacing Kyle Shermer, but they're replacing him with a grad transfer and Riley, excuse me, Riley Neal from Ball State, who was pretty good when he uh, when he was healthy there for the Cardinals. You know, they still have a guy in Keshawn Vaughn, who was one of the more explosive quarterbacks anywhere you'll find in college football last year. They still have one of the better tight ends in the country in Jared Pinckney. And that's not even getting into the fact that they've, they're they bringing back, like, what, three, four, five of their... No, they're bringing back four... Sorry, I'm trying to do the math in my head. Seven of their top eight pass catchers from last year. It's pretty good. I don't know that UNLV is going to be able to stop this team on offense. No. And this was an offense, by the way. Yeah, we like we like to joke about Vanderbilt. They were a top 25 offense by SP Plus last year. Yeah. It yep. just strikes me as the kind of situation where UNLV is going to get into a shootout, and I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up. So I have this one as a Vanderbilt win. Me too, really quick, because they have um, running back Kishan Vaughn, second team preseason All-SEC, Kalija Lipscomb. Second team mm-hmm. all-wide receiver, tight end Jared Pinkney, second team all preseason all-SEC. And so they have plenty of offensive players out there to test this defense to the extreme. And so I don't see much defense on this SEC for Vanderbilt preseason-wise, so maybe that could be an opportunity for Armani Rodgers to maybe score some points possibly, but I don't think they can keep up. And even though SEC, like Vanderbilt, has finished last, they're finished like dead last in their division. Six, just so you know, six of the seven teams in the East got a first place vote to win the conference or win the division. And Vanderbilt, you had. I mean, mean, they're still getting that SEC money, so it's hard to feel too bad for them. But man, because I'm curious about this voting really quick. Two thirty three for Georgia makes sense. Four to twenty one, okay. Missouri three, shrug, okay. South Carolina one vote, Tennessee vote, Kentucky vote. Who voted for Tennessee, man? They're fifth of fifth, man. They weren't last. Whatever. Let me ask you this real quick. Other side of the division, who would put Mississippi State one? (laughs) 
Somebody, somebody who wanted attention. No kidding. Uh, also, real quick, LSU got five first place votes, and Alabama got two fifty three. So, all right. So that's that's obviously a loss for me as well. Then they and, go, then, and then they go to Fresno State. Which are you surprised by this? SCP Plus has the same win probability for each of these games. No, I'm not. I I thought it'd be less for Fresno State. Because I think Just Fresno because State, of the, the lack of returning production. You mean? Well, and because Fresno State's better than Vanderbilt, in my opinion. I think if you put those two teams together, it would be a really fascinating game. It would be, but there's, Fresno State not, is not going to lose this one. Um, was it, I know I probably asked this before, was it two years ago the rain soak game where UNLV got one of their few wins? I believe that was three years ago. Okay, three years ago. So that's too far to talk about now. But... I, think that was, I think that was when the water main broke, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> at San Boyd. <laughs> that's why it rained in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, but this game, like we've talked about Fresno a bunch, but... Here's what it comes down to for me. Like we mentioned how that here's where the secondary of UNLV not being great, we don't think could be in handy because new QB for Fresno, new receivers for Fresno. They do bring back right in the game. Defense will be fine, but this will be a test for Rogers. I think a test for him to actually play well. But like for them to beat Fresno, it would have to be the quarterback play never develops in anything. They don't find a good go to receiver, and the offense is that bad because the defense is good enough to win some games for Fresno if the offense struggles. And so that's like the only way I can see is it have to include also the defense having like an off night against the UNLV for the Rebel Swim, but I don't see them winning this one. I mean, I, I feel like you kind of have to toss out last year's result to some extent because mm-hmm. that was just a disaster for UNLV. Yeah. Um, you know, it was one of those games where it was during that stretch where they were still transitioning to life without Armani Rogers. Yeah. And let's not forget they won this game two years ago. They did. Against a, a relative, what I would consider to be a relatively flat Bulldogs team, but <laughs> I don't see that really happening again. Yeah, looking at my schedule, I think it'll I think it'll be closer to, than forty eight to three, but I don't see them winning this game. No, it might be a game where it's like uh, I could see the final score like twenty to three or like thirty to seventeen, something like that. Mm-hmm. Comfortable, they get some points. They they host San Diego State, which we, we've already talked about before. It's a loss for me as well, as you see the trend continuing. Those L's are racking up as we go from week to week. Same. Like, if there isn't a way they can win, it's because Ryan Agnew's... It's the same thing kind of for Fresno, except I assume Fresno's offense will be better. Passing the ball, okay. Who's going to catch the ball for San Diego State? It's going to be the Juwan Washington show. If they can slow him down, they'll be in the mix. And it'll be a good test. Repeating myself, these two teams are fairly similar. Fresno and San Diego State. I just think Fresno's offense is a touch better overall. And so... I just don't see a Rodgers be able to do enough to get the win. However, to flip the other side, look at how Aztecs ended last year. They lost to Hawaii. They lost, didn't they lose to UNLV last year as well? They did. They did. And so there's that to think about. So I'd still be pretty confident Aztecs can win this game. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's just going Aztecs win. I don't think UNLV has enough to do it. Then they go to CSU, which we already talked about before. I had a victory for the Rams, which now Same. thinking about it, ooh, I'm not sure. We'll see about that, but uh, any reason the Rams could get the or UNLV could beat the Rams, I think it's very possible. This is going to be a close game, in my opinion. Probably. I mean, like I think this is another situation, like we just talked about with the Vanderbilt game, where it's going to come down to who probably who scores last, because mm-hmm. um, they don't really see either of these offenses being able to stop the other, or yeah. excuse me, either of these defenses yeah. being able to stop the other. But I think that this is maybe a good juncture to talk about one thing that if 
if UNLV is going to hit the benchmark that we talked about way at the beginning of this podcast and get to a bowl game, one thing that's going to have to go differently is winning on the road. Yeah. And it, and it's not that there's going to be that many opportunities to do so, I don't think. But one of the things that really got them to the doorstep a couple of years ago when they went five and seven was that they were also three and three on the road. And so I think if if they can beat Colorado State, which, again, I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kinds of games that they're going to have to win to claw their way to six victories. Here's the thing. They could beat Colorado State. I, they I, could. I think it's even very likely they could beat Colorado State. The reason I'm picking them no, you see the schedule leading up to this game? At Wyoming, Boise State, whatever you want to say at Vanderbilt, it's on the road across the country. At least they have um, SEC talent at some level. So, But there's, mm-hmm. their offense is good. At Fresno, San Diego State. That's a brutal schedule within the context of the Mountain West. And they go, come home, go on the road to CSU, who Colin Hill is a pretty good quarterback. And if like uh, if those guys can get things going, that's part of the reason I'm picking the loss. Not necessarily based on the head-to-head in the vacuum, but leading into the game of the toughness of the Rebels' opponents. Yeah. And then they host Hawaii, which, how are they a slight favorite at home versus Hawaii? The Golden Pineapple Trophy is on the line in this game. Is that why? A little extra motivated, motivation at home? I mean, we'll talk about this more when we get to the Warriors podcast. I, I see more similarities between this team than you might suspect. Go on. Basically, offenses <laughs> and defenses. That, offenses that can move the ball and defenses that might have trouble stopping gotcha. others from moving the football. Okay. So you give your prediction first this time. I've got this one as a UNLV win. What? I do. Really? I'm just going to say, I mean, this is maybe this is a tease for Hawaii preview um hawaii was really hard for me to figure out yeah have we um really quick i know we're gonna get to i just thought of this just now what's the team that matt picked to do battle be really good this year oh <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for our big time preview the kind of the over the mega preview we do where we kind of after we go through fall and all the spring we need to bring that up because there's always a team where Matt predicts like a three-win three win team they go off to go like 9-3 or something or 10 wins or win the conference. You're welcome in advance, by the way. Yeah, whoever the team that is. I, I'm the opposite. I think it's Hawaii and it's not even close. Okay. Because, again, we'll talk next time in Hawaii, the next podcast or one after. But remember, if Cole McDonald doesn't have a uh, you know bloody scrotum, he'll be pretty good again this year. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't think it's going to be close. The, that secondary, which we talked about, which we're not confident in, Dude, Cedric Bird, JoJo Ward, Whew, no way, man. Okay. Then San Jose State at home. Ah, the nice victory they get for like after three months. <laughs> They're gonna win versus San Jose State. I believe you had that as well for the uh, Rebels. No, I have that one as a San Jose State win. Oh, what, you do? I forgot. Oh, I have mine down that year. So you have final game at Nevada for the. Um, it's not on Nevada Day because that's Halloween, right? Isn't that when Nevada Day is or something or October thirtieth? I don't know that off the top of my head. We got the can- Fremont came on the line. Yeah. And for me, I got Nevada with the victory because whoever the quarterback is will be fine um, for Nevada. It'll be close, I think. It is on the road, which plays a, kind of a big part for me as well. But Tawatua, best player in the field, give the win to the best player. Best team, I should say. Best, best, Sorry. Best player on the team will get the victory, and that's Nevada. Better than these Armani games, Rogers, I'll say it. These games have tended to be a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Than you would expect. I think it was like, what, three of the last four have been within eight points or fewer? Even so. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, and this, for whatever reason, just seems to be like one of the harder games to predict because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, at this point, um, we don't know quarterback for Nevada as well. Malik Henry, is it somebody else? That's part of it too. But regardless, it'll be competitive. But I think. if you listen to our Wolfpack podcast, you already know I have that as a Nevada win. Oh, yeah. Wolfpack podcast. If you're wondering really quick, because this is a Nevada show, I have Wolfpack 7 and 5. All right. What did you have, Matt, real quick? Uh, I had him at 8 and 4. Okay. So. All right, so that puts me Nevada, or excuse me, UNLV three and nine. Same. Oh, jeez. Is this one and seven in conference? Uh, me too. Me beating San, me have them winning over San Jose State, and you have them winning over the Warriors of Hawaii. Uh, yes. So does this mean um, Coach Sanchez is getting the pink slip? I've read Francois true to her word. I guess so. Oh man, is there a way? Because we both have three and nine that they can get to a bowl game. Like if we're gonna say. They can get to six victories. Who would your other three victories be, Matt? Um, I'll give you four teams that I think could be in that in that mix. Five, actually. Oh, five. There you go. And this is and this is like if things come together and the defense can be adequate. <laughs> adequate. <laughs> they can beat Wyoming. Oh, interesting. Okay. They can they can beat San Diego State. They can mm-hmm. beat Colorado State. They can beat San Jose State, and they can beat Nevada. Okay, here's what I have here. So that's so you're saying if everything goes perfect, they might go in four. If I mean, if things break their way, yeah. I would have. I'm kind of in the same mix as you. I'd have. Um, I, I honestly, I, I'm maybe Northwestern, but not really. But here's the thing too: Arkansas State's a toss-up for me. Um, I would lean toward CSU definitely, Nevada definitely. I only have four teams here because I already had the Spartans game. I think, not definitely, but teams I could see them getting a win first. Versus Wyoming, I think that's that's my lowest of this mix. I'm kind of stretching to include them. Um, San Diego State, just because of what happened last year, it's at home. And I think Rodgers is fairly exciting. He's healthy at CSU and at Nevada. And again, maybe, maybe, maybe Northwestern, but I'm not putting any hedge into that. So, But even saying that, that includes them winning two more road games, three more road games for me. I have them winning no road games this year. I believe my correct that's, that's a tall task yeah, yeah. so yeah three and nine i mentioned bob davies my go-to coach to be fired but whew, sanchez year five has fewer wins this would tie his worst season ever right three and nine i believe uh yes i don't it think would. he had a two-win season so oh, man are we really saying three and nine is that what we got here we locked into this I mean, you you are more than welcome to change your predictions anytime you want i do not, I'm not even in our big preview no. Okay. Not unless there's a really compelling excuse. Injury of some sort of, of magnitude once fall camp gets underway. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, I go three and nine. You go three and nine. Tony Sanchez on his way out. Is can UNLV ever be anything better than this? I know it's a big question, but. Well, yeah. I mean, we've seen every other. We've seen pretty much every other team in the conference pop up at some point. Yeah, because we've seen... In recent memory. Yeah, we've had San Jose State with David Fell. Sorry to bring it up again. Utah State, Air Force, and even New Mexico has won a share of the division title. Well, and here's the thing. You know, it's not like they aren't putting forth the effort to make the program not as visible and successful as it can be. You know, we we haven't really even mentioned, you know, the big Berman, the Fertitta football complex that they're pouring like millions upon millions of dollars into that's going to be opening soon that's going to be a big draw for a lot of student athletes and you know whether you want to make jokes about 
half filling the new Raider Stadium or not, you know, that's going to be a draw for a lot of student athletes, too, is playing in a brand new modern state of the art facility like that. Um, and oh, by the way, we didn't really talk about recruiting because it's it's a little hard to rope that into the conversation here. But they've already signed, I think, six or seven three star recruits for the 2020 recruiting class. So it's not like they aren't putting in the work. So what is it's it? Just, that means it's coaching, right? That next step, if they have the facilities that are being built, I know they're not there yet, so that's hard to say. Oh, you should have these guys. Maybe it's two years away when they're actually using those facilities. If the facilities are there, they just got re-upped for Nike again for two million a year of gear just the other day, I believe, which is shocking because CSU gets more than them, which is weird, but whatever. I digress. Um, they have talent. You mentioned recruiting. They're the talent currently. They've had good running backs. They have a good Charles Williams is there, Armani Rogers, Tyler Collins is a good talent, Gabe McCoy defense. They're getting a few good players. The last step is coaching, right? Is that the thing that's just been lacking? I don't know. Because, I mean, was last year bad coaching or was it just bad luck losing Armani Rogers for as long as they did? I'd say bad luck. And then, honestly, Lexington Thomas quit for a bit on the team, I would say. Okay. And and just looking at this year, you know, they, they get Boise, Fresno, and San Diego. You know, is that bad luck? Just luck of the draw? The fact that the schedule flipped the way that it has? Well, no, they'd have San Diego and Fresno regardless. It's just Boise. Well, I'm just saying, you know, they're they're drawing maybe a tougher schedule than they would have you know, a year or two ago. But that goes back to the original question that I posed. Was last year their best chance? I'd say, I'd still say the year before. Because the year before, we saw tangible evidence where they should have won a sixth game. Last and, year with injuries, it's hard to predict. I'm, I'm, so, so I, I still would have gone to a bowl game last year, but thing. sorry, go. What was that? I was just gonna say I don't think it's one thing. I think it's just no. a combination of things that have worked against them in the last couple of years. And at least as you know, if our forecast plays out the way that we expect it to, I would kind of see it the same way. Okay, so it's, it's just works. Every team has every team had a ten win season in Mountain West except UNLV. Uh, Has CSU had ten wins? Nevada and CSU are probably the only two. No CSU because when they played Utah in the Vegas Bowl that one year with Richard Higgins. Well, San Jose State had its ten win season before it entered the conference. Uh, when they played Fresno, and, and so did that Ryan. was whack. When it, they, was the, it was the last year of the whack. Yeah. Oh, I thought Fresno was in the Mountain West that year. Fresno was. San Jose State was. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, but that's still within five years. Okay, okay, that's a fair point. So those three teams, but even speaking to that. Every team has been successful within the past six years, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to stretch here a little it bit. It wasn't that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that UNLV was in a bowl. Yeah, but that was like their second bowl this century. Yeah. Well, I think it was their only bowl this century. I think they I'm went mistaken. to the Vegas Bowl in 2000, right? Is does that actually count as this century? <sighs> Semantics, technically no. Since 2000, <laughs> fine. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. We, if you want to take the optimist point of view, you could look at UNLV the same way that we looked at San Diego State. And this was a point that I made on the Media Days podcast. Was for as successful as San Diego State has been recently, their overall win percentage since they joined the conference 20 years ago is still under 500. Not good. You know, Las Vegas is a destination. Mm-hmm. They're putting in the money. They're putting forth the resources. They're getting a gift from the Raiders. They're getting they're, – yeah. They're, they're getting the recruits – I just don't know if there's one thing you can point to to say this is the only other thing they need to do to take that next step forward. So one quick thing to mention here, 
Tony Sanchez has a better winning percentage than his predecessors, predecessors Bobby Hawk, Hawk and Mike Sanford. Mm-hmm. And not excluding John Robinson, go back to Jeff Horton, 94 to 98, better winning percentage. There's only been two coaches since 1990 as better winning percentage, Jim Strong and John Robinson. Jim Strong, 386, stellar there. <laughs> Tony Sanchez, 333, John Robinson, 400. And also, when you exclude John Robinson, every coach, if, if my math is correct on this, going back to 1986, assuming they gave up five-year contracts to each coach, only one has had a longer contract than five years. Hmm. That's not good. Mm, not quite. Just, just saying. So if you put that in perspective, maybe it isn't. I know what the new AD said, but I mentioned this before on multiple football basketball podcasts. Do the Mark Stoops run at Kentucky. Kentucky's never been good at football. Very Well, not minimal success, like Tim Couch, notwithstanding yeah, last yeah. year, finally. You know what I mean? Even Rebels had Randall Cunningham. They've had a couple of good guys, obviously, a couple of good teams. Maybe they should give him, maybe do a one year, just do a one-year extension, even if they go 3-9, and give give him that full t- tenure with Armani Rodgers to see what happens. Maybe that's all they need, because what's the point, again, going four or five years, new coach? It, you're repeating the cycle over and over. Mm-hmm. So, I get if they already. I, I could see two sides. I could see keeping him around. You have a Rogers for one more year. Your defense gets under control a lot. They have a lot of guys coming back next year as well. Correct, or the year after twenty twenty. So maybe it's like okay, you have everything here to go, or say scratch that. Let's bring in a good offensive coordinator or something to coach this offense that could be really good in twenty twenty as well. So mm-hmm. I can see both sides trying to find like the hot OC from who knows from whatever team. Maybe they can get Mike's. See Utah State as well with Mike Sanford. He gets another head coaching job back at UNLV. They'll get some OC from UCLA or Oregon or, you know what I mean, something like that. Somebody from the Big 12 could come here in talent as a OC to be head coach. Yeah. I'm just saying. Maybe that could – I wouldn't just – I wouldn't say that's a bad route either because you've got your offense, you got the players, and I'll put it in year one. So, but my ultimate opinion, what they should do, I think they should keep him for one more year. But if it's 3-9 and nine bad and they're not close, there's no way they can keep him. You agree, or what, what's your thought on that? See out because the AD's words need to speak mean something. Well, I mean, if I were the AD, I would be patient too. Okay, I think I just tend toward that in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when you're considering that, um, you know, because the top end of the schedule is inordinately tough. You know, compared to other teams that are kind of coming from the same position. You know, like obviously New Mexico is going to Notre Dame, but they also get New Mexico State and Liberty. Those are manageable gains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, San Jose State is going to Arkansas, but they also get Tulsa. And, and Arkansas is terrible, and they beat them last year. Yeah, so... Also, I, really quick... I would be patient too, but it's just one of those things where... Just under a million dollars, nine fifty. Yeah. So there's that, which is going to get Sanchez. However, as you mentioned, with all the Furtado money coming in, Maybe they'll give him time, one more year, to see what he can do. So I don't know. I like each school is different. Each circumstance is different. It's not like New Mexico or CAC, which has a huge buyout where they can't afford to. Under a million bucks is nothing for almost any school. And so I could see that why he could be gone. But ultimately, I would say he should stick around unless it's an ultimate disaster. At three and nine, I'd probably lean that way. But let's just say they lose to Nevada by like a late field goal. They Lose like they lose the CSU, but you know I mean like some a fluky player. It's competitive and it's just a close loss because it's a back and forth game. It can't be the rebels of old losing by thirty plus points. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I stand on. If they if they stick around, if he stays, I, I could find ways either way. So any last words, or was that our long last words? 
<laughs> Let me throw one last word out there for you. Because I picked up the new Football Outsiders Almanac recently. Good, and good purchase. Yeah, I was going to say, first of all, if you don't have it, you should buy it immediately. It's like 10 bucks or something. Something fairly expensive. 20 bucks. Something fairly reasonable, yeah. Okay. They give UNLV, and this is with win probabilities, right? Which is, I think they use F plus for that, which is basically a combination of the Fremo Efficiency Index um, and S&P Plus. So it's a combination of the two. They give UNLV a 4% chance to get to 6 and 6 this year. That's it? Is that too high or too low? Oh, man. You say that again? You say 4%? 4%. Hold on. Let me take a quick look here. Dude, 4%, that's um, pretty low. I can, well, I'm not going to make some weird analogy and think about it. I would say, honestly, from what we said, I'd say that's, do I have to pick higher or low, or can I say that's about right? You can say that's about right. I will do this. I will be a little bit nice. I, well, what's the difference between 4 and 7%, Matt? You know what I mean? It's about mm-hmm. within mar- it's, it's within margin of error, which is not good because that could be zero percent as well. But I would I would not disagree with that. I would if somebody said, "Hey, okay, let me, let's rephrase this, Matt." If you say, "Hey, to me, would you pay?" If you say four percent, would you put like fifty bucks down and say they get a bowl game at four percent? I'd probably take those odds at four percent, just because I think there's a, anything can happen at four percent. But as for football and watching what they can do on the field, I would still say it's about right. There's a path. What's your path? Like, what's the path? What you told us before? The like, path is win on the road, and that path, at least this year, is not going to be easy. There are only two road games I could see them winning, realistically. Like, I chose Wyoming, but that's a stretch for me. At CSU and at Nevada, that's about it for road games. Yeah. So how many road games do they have to win? Three? Yeah. Okay. Which three? Are you assuming what you mentioned, Wyoming, CSU, and uh, Nevada? Yes. All right, well, 4%. Shoot, that's, uh, that's about right, I'd say. I'm just saying. Really quick, win totals for UNLV? Five, according to um, who's GF, the CG technology, whoever that is, some mm-hmm. casino. Would you take the over or under on that? Does that mean six or four? I mean, I guess I'd have to take the under. I'd take the under there, too. So, I'm going to be in Vegas. I told you, week after on week one, I'll be there. So, if you want me to put some money on right. the Giants for you. Did you get somebody to do that for you? Put a few bucks on the Giants? I did. I got twenty bucks at uh, hundred to one. You know, I'm ticked about Utah odds. I, I should have got it. They're eighty to one national title. They dropped to fifty to one after they were proclaimed crowned. I'll say preseason Pac-12 champion. You missed your chance, dude. Okay. Fifty to one still good. I'm gonna be there soon. But eighty to one, I'm just saying. Dang. All right. Well, that's our show tonight. We went quite long for the Rebels. We got two more left. We have Hawaii and Boise State. We'll put up a poll on Twitter, MWC Wire. So check that out. In the next. Uh, Day or so, it'll be out. I'm assuming everything goes well. Sorry, Aztec fans, your large talk radio was being jerks to us for something going wrong because it came out late. So it should be out a week from Sunday. And then, Matt, we have two shows our mega preview show, and then what, twice a week, I guess? Week one, pre- week zero preview? It's very close. And look for all of our content coming out. We have a lot of, we still have some OOC previews coming up. We'll have, I still have some, some fun media day stuff we need to put out there like, hey, should they go to Vegas for the title game or LA? We'll see. TBD. Matt has your pod system out, so that's pretty interesting, which is getting a little traction, right? Pods. People like your dog's pods. I think so, yeah. So check all that stuff out, and yeah, we'll be back next time, and we're just, next time we talk to you guys, we'll be in the month of football. We'll see you then.